Okay, so Nicodemus, we said last time he's a, he's a Pharisee, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He, he comes to Jesus and we, we looked at the first part of this conversation. Jesus just keeps coming in. You must be born again. You must be born of water and the spirit. It's telling him this is the way to see the kingdom. This is the way to come to know the Father, to come into eternal life. You need to be born again. That it's not by our effort, it's not by where we were born, it's not because of our nationality or because of circumcision or because we keep the law really well that we manage to do the right thing all the time. But by the Holy Spirit, by being washed clean, by being given new birth. But we kind of see as we move into the second part, Nicodemus kind of brings us there with his question, how can this be? Now in part, maybe Nicodemus still just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand, I I thought it was so different to this. I didn't think it was about, I thought it was about following the law, about being Jewish, about being circumcised, about coming to the temple, about all these things. Actually, maybe Nicodemus is getting it in part. But actually, he asks the question, how can this be? How is it possible? I must be born again? I must be born again? I can be born into new life? How? How on earth can it be that that I can be forgiven, that I can come in to new life? And so that's what Jesus goes on to explain gloriously and wonderfully. But let's look from the beginning. Jesus, well, let's look from verse 10. Jesus begins to answer him. In verse 10, you are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. Now, I'm going to pause here. This is kind of an aside, but it, it gets everything in one. Jesus has said this three times now in this passage. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. And what we can know right from the outset today, it's simple. It's it's very basic and simple truth. But Jesus speaks the truth. We can trust what Jesus says because Jesus speaks the truth. As he's described in John 1, chapter 14, as the word... Sorry, John 1, verse 14. The word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We can trust him. We can trust his words. We can trust everything he says, because what he says is, I tell you the truth. But that's what he's saying to Nicodemus here. I tell you the truth. And he goes on, it's kind of a bit more of a... It's still, he's rebuking Nicodemus a bit, and saying... Hang on, I tell you the truth. We tell you of what we know. We testify of what we've seen. You yourself, he kind of echoes Nicodemus' introduction. Nicodemus has said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. Okay, so Jesus then says, we speak of what we know. We speak of what we know. You've said that I'm a teacher come from God. And yet, actually, you don't receive what I teach. So there's a bit of a rebuke, there's a bit of a kind of, well, hang on, Nicodemus, I'm telling you the truth. This is what it is. That's how it can be. 
But actually, through this, it's a slightly confusing section where he's saying, I've told you of earthly things and you haven't believed it. I, I could tell you, if I told you of heavenly things, you're not going to believe it. We've seen, testified of what we've seen. You haven't accepted our testimony. All these different elements. But actually, what Nicodemus can see as he's going through, Jesus is saying, all this stuff I've told you, you can't accept it. You can't understand. But the Old Testament has told of it. The Old Testament has told of it that you must be born again. That, that one is coming who will make a way for you to come into relationship with the Father. But you haven't understood that. And then Jesus is saying, I could go further. I could, I could bring heavenly things. I could teach you of the heavenlies. I could teach you of what it is in heaven. And why? This is what Nicodemus is understanding. This is what Nicodemus is getting hold of. No one has gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. What Nicodemus is hearing is Jesus is saying, you won't be able to understand, but I could teach you of heavenly things. Why? Because I'm the one who came from heaven. I'm the Son of Man, the Son of God. Come down. I'm the Son of God. That's how it can be. How can it be that I can be born again? Well, Nicodemus, the Son of God, is stood in front of you. And this is what, there's something key for us to understand. And it's, again, it's simple truth. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God come down from heaven. If we skip ahead to verse 17, he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God has sent his Son. Not to condemn, but to save So how can it be? Because God has sent his son. Jesus is revealing, kind of slowly, maybe slightly cryptically, I am him, Nicodemus. I am the son of God. This is how it can be, because I am the son of God. That's what's true for us. There is only one way to the Father. There is only one way to come into new life. And how? Who is it through? It's through the Son of God. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, writing to Timothy, verse 5, it says there is one mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. There's one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. And as Jesus himself said in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a way open... We can come into new life because Jesus is the Son of God. He is the only way, but he is the way. We've sung it already. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. Precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. It's because Jesus is the Son of God. He is the only way. So Jesus is kind of revealing to Nicodemus, I'm the Son of God. That's part of the how. That's how it can be, because I am Jesus. I am the Son of God. But then he comes and he explains how. 
How can it be? And he does it initially through another Old Testament picture. And we'll read verse 14. John 3.14. So he's just said that no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And then it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Okay. Well, it's... If we're not familiar with the story that he's referring to, this can sound a bit odd. As Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. Okay, right Jesus, you've lost me here. But Nicodemus would have been familiar. He would have known Israel's history. He would have known what happened as they journeyed through the desert. As they came to the promised land and as they sent spies out into the land, the spies came back and gave a kind of... Oh, well, it's good, but actually there's these big guys who are really tough to beat. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can take the land because God is with us. And they said, no, we're scared. We can't do it. We can't do it. We'll have to, go. We'll have to turn away. And they end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. Nicodemus would have known the story. He would have known what it says in Numbers chapter 21. As they were traveling... They've come to the promised land, they've turned away. And God said, you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. And they've, they're wandering around, they're fighting battles, they're doing different things. But they come to this point. Numbers 21 verse 4. They travelled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said... Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. So the people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake. And put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Okay, we've read the story now, but still this seems, this seems strange. What is, what is God saying? They've, they've come. They've rebelled against God. What do we see in the story? They come. We can easily gloss over the story and think, okay, they're grumbling again. Yeah. Uh, God sends some snakes. Yeah, uh, they're dying. Uh, they're helpless. Uh, put a snake on a pole, and if they look at it, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. What? What? They came and asked Moses to take the snakes away. Pray to God that He'll take the snakes away. And God says to him, "Put a snake, a bronze snake, on a pole." It could just seem. What is this all about? But what do we see in this story? What we see is a people, a rebellious people. It says verse 5, they spoke against God and against Moses. They're a rebellious people who are not trusting God. They're not trusting God. So what, what is the result of their rebellion and their lack of trusting God? In this instance, God sends snakes. 
But the result is that a poison comes. They're bitten by the snakes and they die. If they're bitten by the snakes, they die. And the people are helpless. They can do nothing about it. Okay, you could probably argue in in the desert they could have run. Run fast, we'll try and outrun the snakes. But it looks pretty desperate. There's no way of escaping. If the snake gets you, they're going to die. The poison is inescapable. And what do we see? What is our position? What is our position Before God, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We are a rebellious people. All, All have sinned and fall short. And what Paul says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. There is no escape from it. We are a sinful and rebellious people. We haven't trusted God. We haven't gone after him wholeheartedly. We're lost in death and sin. So Jesus points to this story and we see, we can see parallels there. We can see the Israelites, yes, they're There are rebellious people and they're desperate. They're trapped in their sin. They're trapped. They can't escape from the snakes. We can see the parallels to us. But then we see the answer in that story. They had a problem with snakes. And God told Moses to put a bronze snake on a pole. The problem with snakes, the problem was snakes and the poison of the snake. And God told Moses to put a snake on a pole. Jesus says, like the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the desert, Moses was told to put a snake on a pole to save them from the poison of the snakes. If they were bitten by the snake, they could look to the snake on a pole and live. 2 Corinthians 5 shows us that he who had no sin became sin for us so that we can be saved. So that we can be saved. Like the snake in the desert, Jesus was lifted up. Jesus is pointing Nicodemus firmly and squarely and unquestionably to the cross. Where he became sin, who knew no sin. Took on all of our sin, all of the sin that blocked us out from coming to God, of having eternal life, of being born again. He took it by being lifted up like the snake in the desert. The problem for the Israelites was the poison of the snake. The problem for us is the poison of sin. The answer. We must be born again. We must be washed clean. We must have new hearts, new life. And how is it? 
Because Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, God's Son, the perfect one, who knew no sin, became sin for us and hung on a cross. He was lifted up like the snake in the desert. But even then we can think, this is a strange answer. Okay, I get the parallel between the snakes and that was their problem and there was a snake lifted up. Sin is our problem and Jesus is lifted up as one who takes on all our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. But in a sense, there's still this odd sense of, look at a snake. How is that going to help when we're poisoned by snakes? What the Israelites in the desert might have been thinking is, we need a mighty snake catcher. Come on, God, come down and take these snakes away. Perhaps, as Nicodemus is listening, the Pharisees and others around, in fact, even himself, might have been thinking many things, but they might be thinking, well, we need a Roman catcher. Then we, we can get rid of the Romans and we can be free. Again, we need to come back to God, say sorry again. We need to, we've probably got it wrong over time, but get rid of the Romans. Then we can come before God and follow him like we should. We can do it. Actually, the snake in the desert points us to the bigger issue. Because the Israelites didn't just need rid of the snakes. Their immediate problem was the snakes were there. They needed rid of the snakes because the snakes were poisoning them. But what was their problem? Their problem's right back in verse 5. They spoke against God and against Moses. They didn't trust him. Their hearts were rebellious against him. And there can be a sense that they're they're looking at it in a way a bit like in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system came about. God brought the law and they started offering sacrifices. But the sacrifices came every year because the people, they couldn't follow. They tried their best to follow God, but, well, maybe at times they didn't even try their best to follow God. But they couldn't do it. We can't do it. And so every year they came back and they kind of got rid of the snakes and started again. And they ended up with more snakes. Because the sin... It wasn't going away. They, they, they offered a sacrifice for sin, which kind of cleared everything up for a... It seemed to clear things up for a bit and they could carry on and try, try again. But they couldn't do it. That's where we are. Just, just a clearing of the slate and go and try again will never be enough. Because we'll, we'll have the slate cleaned and then we'll stumble again. We'll stumble again. The snake is pointing, the snake in the desert points to the fact that they didn't just need the snakes got rid of, they needed, they needed new hearts. They needed to trust God. God didn't say, you've asked for the snakes to go, okay, I'll get rid of them. He says, put a snake up. Trust me. If you look at the snake, you will live. Trust me. God's, a, God's dealing with their hearts in a way here, and he's pointing towards the way he will deal with our hearts and has dealt with our hearts now. He's pointing to it. Look to the snake. I could think, what a stupid idea. 
What on earth is that about? Look at a snake. I'm not looking at a snake. I've got snakes all around my feet. I'm not looking at a snake on a pole. That's what they needed to do. They needed to trust God. And he would... And as he said, they would live. It can be hard to accept. And the cross can be equally hard to accept for people. The cross? The sinless one? God's son? Went to the cross? Was crucified? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23. Paul identifies with this issue. He says... But we preach, 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. It's a stumbling block. Jesus, God's son, has come, the Messiah, God's forever king has come. That's what they're thinking of. And he's crucified. What, this is, this, eh? And foolishness, it doesn't make sense. It's like a snake on a pole. If I look at a snake, I live. If I believe in Jesus who died, I can be born again. For many, it's so hard. Jesus said loads of amazing things. I come to give life in all its fullness. But but he was crucified. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he was crucified. I've come to set you free. But he was crucified. He called to his disciples and he still calls to us, come, follow me. But Jesus, you were crucified. It can be a stumbling block. It can be foolishness. It can sound just crazy. But on the other hand, we can just lose the wonder of it. Because the truth is, Jesus tells us the truth. This is glorious truth. Like the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Through his death, he gives us life. We need to look to him, to believe in him. That's what verse 15 tells us, that whoever believes, let me find it and actually read it rather than paraphrasing. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is what we needed. Jesus, the son of God, came, took on all our sin, and like the snake in the wilderness, was lifted up on a cross, taking our place, taking our death. He became sin who knew no sin. So that we may have eternal life. So that we may have the opportunity to be born again. Nicodemus, this is how. Jesus, the Son of God, has come. And Nicodemus, I'm going to the cross. Before, like the Israelites with the snakes, we were helpless. We were helpless, condemned by sin. There was no way for us to come to the Father. Verse 17 and 18 in John 3 go on to tell us, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe 
in him is condemned already, stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That's where we were. Condemned because we didn't believe in him. Condemned because we had no other way. And the painful truth is, if you don't know him today, that is where you stand. It's a stark, stark picture. If you were here last week, you would have heard Tom Lee speaking about the sheep and the goats. And that stark picture of how Jesus will separate the sheep on the one hand from the goats on the other. And there's nothing in the middle. The sheep on the one hand are blessed. They're blessed. But on the other hand, they're cursed. That's, that's it. There's, there's no other category that either in him we are blessed or without him we are cursed. But the glorious truth that Nicodemus is getting us insight into here is that he has made a way. We were all here. But he has made a way for us to be born again, to be clean, to be forgiven, to be in relationship with his father, to be blessed, to be blessed. Nicodemus is seeing it kind of before it happens. Nicodemus, I'm going to the cross. But the glorious truth is that we know he has He has done it. He has gone to the cross. Just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what he's done. How is it? Jesus has died. Jesus came as the Son of God, the perfect spotless lamb, took on our sin and died on the cross. So that what? So we can believe in him. Look to him. We can come to him. And we come from there to probably the most quoted verse in the Bible. Jesus, the son of God, has come. Jesus is explaining, I'm going to be hung on a cross for you. That's how it's going to be. And then we see this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In a sense, we've seen the who can this be through? Jesus, the son of God. How can it be? Because I'm going to the cross, Nicodemus, because I'm going to die in your place. And in a sense here, we see the why, or at least part of the why, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Because God loved the world, he loved the world he'd made, the people he'd made in his image that much, he would send his son to die for us. What's the truth that we can get today? God loves us. God loves us so much that he made a way while we were turned in completely the other direction. Not completely lost in our rebellion, lost in our sin, with no chance, no hope, with no respect for God. At that time, God sent his son to die. That is the measure of his love. How incredible is this love? We've heard so much already this morning about God's love. 
This is love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world. This is the love that God has shown us. This is the love that God has shown us. It's, if we really fully understand it, it's mind-blowing. It's, it's incredible that while we were completely in the opposite direction, completely away from him, completely rebellious against him, he sent his son. He sent his son to die. That is the measure of God's love for us. The measure of it. How incredibly huge is his love. And what Romans 8 goes on to tell us. That this incredible, wonderful love of God. We can never be separated from it. If we know him, if we have accepted what he has done for us. Nothing can separate us from that love. That, his love is so faithful, so strong. As Ben's already reminded us from Isaiah 54, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. In Romans 8, we see all sorts of things that will come against us, that may come against us, that could come against us. Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Then he lists all these things that could potentially try. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he says it, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For God so loves the world that he sent his son. That's the love of God. That's the love of God that is so... Strong, so wonderful, so powerful. We can never be separated from it. We're loved by the King of Kings. God so loved the world. But what do we see? Nicodemus has been remind, has been, it's been revealed to him. Jesus is telling him, this is how it can be. The Son of God has come. The Son of God is going to die, lifted up like the snake in the wilderness. Then you can be born again. You can be born again because God loves you that much. That the holy God, the holy God who is completely perfect, would love sinners like us that much that he sent his Son. So today, do we see our saviour? Do we see the wonder, the wonder of the cross? The wonder of what Jesus has done for us? This is amazing grace. For God so loved the world. 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not die, but have eternal life. But there's a, there's a final thing for us to remember and see. The snake in the wilderness, Jesus quoting it, points to the cross, most definitely points to the cross. But the Son of Man must be lifted up. Lifted up on a cross, yes, but the Son of Man has been lifted up. He has been exalted. Through his death, through his resurrection, then God has exalted him to the highest place. As it says in Philippians 2, he's exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name. Do we see our saviour, the son of God, come down to earth to die on a cross, to rise again and be exalted on high? He's a wonderful, wonderful God. If we know him today, that is our saviour. He is our saviour. God loves us that much. If you don't know him today, if you don't know him, you're sitting there thinking, I don't know him. I don't know this, this Jesus, this truth. Perhaps you've been here for the last few weeks, even. You will have heard, you must be born again. A few weeks ago, the next week, Dan was telling us so much about how, how much we've got to be thankful for, to give thanks, how, in, how Nehemiah was giving thanks for what God had done. And ultimately, we have what we have to give thanks for is that Jesus has died for us. He has made a way for us. Last week, Tom's reminded us of the sheep and the goats and of the fact that we're looking towards what God is going to do, what Jesus is going to do on that final day and that we can know him and we can be secure in the fact that he can say to us, you're blessed. Today, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him may not die, but have eternal life. Jesus is calling. Jesus is saying, be born again. Be born again. Come to me. Look to me. I can make you clean and give you new life. For all of us, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. He's a wonderful, incredible saviour. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Let's pray.